say let's just get going to the protectors podcast excellent guest today and an even excellenter co-host i like to throw out words that just aren't even words but hey we have eli cranar today and eric bishop co-hosting eli did i pronounce your name right yeah that's it craner there we go hey welcome to the show man and i've been really excited about this one for a while even though we've probably postponed what how many times eric Three or four Couple. times? Couple. <laughs> Couple times, yeah. Whether it's me or you, me or me. It's always my fault. So, yeah. But, hey, we're doing it. And, uh, man, you have a, a – how do you – your background, like high school football, pro football, now you're like a writer, like a bona fide writer, and you also have a really cool blog. So let's just jump right into it. What's your uh, – what's Eli up to nowadays? I mean, you just published your book, Don't Know Tough. What else you got yeah. going on? Yeah, man. So yeah, Don't Know Tough came out in March um, and I was lucky enough to get another deal with the same publisher, Soho uh, Crime. And we've got another book coming in April. So it was really the perfect thing because I am like a, a worrier to the nth degree, you know, and I, I think if I hadn't had another book to be working on and sending in revisions and that sort of stuff, I would have I would have been uh, watching all the reviews and all the stuff come in way, way too heavily. So that I've been working. The second book's called Ozark Dogs. Um, it comes out in April of 2023. And it's about a murder that took place here in my hometown. I live in my hometown. And it took place uh, back in 2017. Uh, happened in Junkyard. Uh, was a real big, big deal around here. Uh, and so, yeah, that's that's what that one is and that's what i've been doing so you're still working on revisions and getting getting it tightened up and everything well i actually eric i just turned in the final revisions okay. probably a week or so we're waiting to get it back from copy edits and we've seen some uh some cover you know stuff so all that all that stuff so i love that part of it and then you know i really liked there was about two weeks worth of travel around don't know tough you know for mm -hmm. book tour, and that was a lot of fun and i was really excited to do all that but then it was like you know once that that part's over i've got some i'll be in mississippi and louisiana and uh there's one here in arkansas like some book festivals that are coming up but, but other than that not much you know not much traveling just kind of podcasts and things here and there so it's been been a good little window to to get rolling on that second one now, are you off for the summer with your teach with teaching schedule and stuff? Yeah, so that's what I was telling Jason before we got on here. Um, this is this is I'm at the house and uh, and we're on full full summer mode. So I've really never had a summer as a teacher because I was a coach for five years, gotcha. and then for the last five years I've been teaching alternative education English, but I always do summer school. Um, and so this summer, uh, once the book came out and, you know, I was trying to make sure I had some open time. So this is really my first summer, um, to be, be home. And it's, it's been really cool. I bet. Absolutely. Now you, both, you both know about the revisions. You both know about deadlines. Putting one of these books together has got to be tough, man. Especially when it comes to like, it's got to really hit the audience. Thrillers, yeah, you can get into it. You can follow the protagonist. There's always something bad guys around the corner. But when you're talking about crime and building that tension 
and finding the different antagonists in a world, whether or not it's just a person antagonist or the environment or just, you know, the current social situation going around, whoever your protagonist is, creating these worlds in the crime genre, it's, it's a lot different than what I'm typically used to talking about. So building that first book, what was that like building that world? Yeah, well, and don't know tough. It wasn't the first manuscript. So when I got out of coaching, uh, I'd, I was in England. I played football in college, and I was this strange combination of like I was the quarterback for our university, but I was also an English literature major, which is not you know is not <laughs> normal. Um, and I, I, there was a guy that that to this day he's still a professor. His name's Johnny Wink, and he's the strangest, most eclectic dude, Dr. Wink. I still call him every Tuesday, and, like, whatever I'm working on that week, I'll I'll read a little bit of it to him out loud. And and he was the guy. I took him – I didn't take him until, like, the, the fall of my senior year. So it was my last season as the, the quarterback. And I took advanced creative writing fiction. And, man, that class changed my, my whole trajectory because – the whole class like was built up to write like one 2000 word short story. And I was in the middle of, you know, my senior football season, but I was writing, you know, a 2000 word story a week. And like on Friday, you know, the games are on Saturday. So I would slide these stories under his office door, um, go play, you know, the games on the weekend. And then Monday morning, when we get back to class, he'd have, you know, the stories all marked up for me. And, and that was, that was enough to really just set the fire for me as a writer, because what else could you want? You know, you had a guy who was extremely well-read a guy who knew, you know, a lot about it and was just such a good, good teacher. You know, he, he was a cheerleader when I needed it most, you know, even from the beginning when all of my stuff was just shit, you know, he would, he would still underline the, the really good, you know, one, the one line out of those 2000 words that he thought was good. And, and and that meant the world. So that that's where it started. But I, I kind of tabled it while I was I played for a season overseas in Sweden, and then coached high school ball for five years, and and there just wasn't time. But when I got out of coaching, I had all you know, coaching for high school football, especially in the South. I mean, it the, the work weeks in the fall and and even in the summer or off seasons, you're always I was coaching baseball and other things too. Um, there's wasn't time. And so when I got out, I had this void and I went back to it, went back to trying to do what I'd done with, with Johnny that fall semester. Um, I had a Bradbury quote and I've said this before, but I really think it's worth repeating. Ray Bradbury said somewhere that you're not a, a real writer until you've written a million words. And so like the old coach in me um, just started keeping tally you know, until I got to a million words. And so I'd written three manuscripts before I wrote Don't Know Tough. And I wrote the first chapter. Uh, I was still, I was in my teaching job. I had a, uh, a lunch break that tied into like a prep period. And I wrote that whole first chapter, which was actually a short story to begin with. Uh, I wrote it during that like hour and a half. And it's one of those few things that like it has stood exactly as almost exactly as I wrote it in that hour and a half wow. hasn't changed at all. It was like, I, I got to interview Sean Cosby, S.A. Cosby a couple months back for shop talk. 
And he said, you know, sometimes it's like you just put your hands up and your fingertips are hit by God, you know, or something by lightning bolts. And that was one of the everything else I write. I got to revise 10 million times. But that first chapter, Billy's voice, it 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 was just it was just there. And I just wrote it. So don't know tough was book number four that you fourth manuscript. Yep. And I queried the other three and they all need to be burnt and and deleted and never read by anyone in in the human world. Well, think about it this way. Your first three are like when you're, you know, JV football. That's right. Then your high school varsity and your college and your pro. So now you're in a pro. So now you're in the pros. <laughs> yeah. Now you're here. Now you're doing it. Now you're writing. Now what's your regime like for writing? You know, with football, you know, you got to get up. You got to you got to hustle. You can't just be okay, I'm going to half-ass it and I'm going to get there. I'm going to be the best. Now it's like you're up in the morning, your diet, you're always working. If you're not thinking about football, you're working on the next day thinking about football. If you're not sleeping football, everything in your life is football. Yeah, you have a family. But now you have this writing thing. And it's not even a thing. It's like, like you said, it's like you're being touched and you're like, I got to write because it's the only thing that really gives me that next mission. Yeah. So now you're on that next mission and now your whole life is writing. So what's yeah. it, what the kind of, um, the, the parallels between that football life and now the writing life? Yeah, man. Well, you summed it up really well right there. I mean, you can ask, you can ask my wife too, because she was right there at the beginning when I was writing these really strange short, I started with short stories. Um, and I think that was, that was a Bradbury thing. I, I'm a big fan of Ray Bradbury and, and, and there was a Southern author by the name of Larry Brown that I was a big fan of too, that, that wrote a lot of short stories at the start. And so, yeah, my wife, like she is, she was a pole vaulter for the university of Arkansas. So she's also from an athletic background mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> not liter- not literary at all. Like not a literary sort of person. She is a reader uh, of some degree, but you know, she couldn't understand like what the hell was Eli doing, you know, locking himself in this room for all these hours and, and, and doing that stuff. But if I'm being completely honest, you, you said like the next mission and and that was really it. I mean, my whole life I'd played football since I was in third grade. Uh, And then I was like nine and then got out of football when I was 29. So, I mean, that was 20 straight seasons, actually 21 seasons. Cause when I went to play in Sweden, I played two seasons in the same year as my my senior year in that season in Sweden. And, and that's a, that, that transition for an athlete, like coming out or, or or there was no transition, you know, being from going to be the quarterback to a coach because it was all the same stuff. But when I finally, you know, got off the field, I didn't know what to do. You know, like I was really I was really struggling, you know, with like, who am I? You know, what is my worth? What what is what is my next mission? What is what is what am I going to do? And so, yeah, I went at it crazy. And I did. um, I read early on. I read On Writing by Stephen King. And that's he he gives that 2000 word, you know, a day and don't skip. Uh, If you're if you're drafting, you know, don't skip. Um, and I stuck to that, like, like a old football player would, I, I, I remember riding on like, we're, we're at the beach and I'd go back up to the condo, you know, while the kids are napping and, and write. Um, I remember writing portions of don't know tough. We were on a float trip with all the, 
the guys from my dad's side of the family. And I'd get up really early, you know, and they're like, what in the hell is Eli doing? And I, and I was writing, I can remember, you know, the exact scene. I was writing. Yeah. I stuck to 2000 words a day and, and, and did it, you know, just like that. And it, it really hadn't changed much. I, I do try to take, like if I finish a book, I do try to take time off from writing like another novel, but like when, when Don't Know Tough was published in March, I mean, I think I had something like seven or eight other completed manuscripts, you know, like at that point in time, because uh, I just kept kept trying to, you know, that's what every all the only advice that I ever really got that was concurrent across all authors is just write, you know, like just keep writing, you know. So, so yeah, I, I had I probably have too many books. That's that's been the that's been the deal right now. Is, well, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to how to get them out. Look at it this way. Look at it this way. And Eric knows this for sure. He's like, once you publish that first book, you're now a writer. And it's you're either going to stay at where you're at. That's going to be your only book. Or you're going to become a professional writer. You're going to become yeah. a pro. And just like with pro football, you got to put the time in. You got to put the effort in. You can't just dip a foot in here once in a while and say, ah, you know what? I'm going to write. I know yeah. so many people that want to be a writer. They think they want to be a writer but they don't take the time to actually write. They like the idea of being a writer. They don't like the idea of actually sitting down and putting words in, or they get in wrapped around the axle of editing while they're writing. Yeah. My adage has always been write, 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 edit later, but just yeah. get those words on paper and keep getting those words on paper and become a pro at it. Hey, look, I like to shoot. So what do I do? I become a really good shooter. Am I going to become a pro? Never know, but I'm going to try. Same thing with writing. I like to write, so now I write, and I write, write, write. Will I be a pro? Yeah, why not? I'm going to do it. So everybody out there, just jump into it. Yeah. But do, well, you, you, you have can't to do what's work. not finished. So you have to finish something, then you can edit it. And I think people get stuck in that edit phase too early, and then they never finish something. So it, it, I was going to say, Eli, in, in a, it's kind of interesting. I know a bunch of authors that were in the same boat. Um, mine was fourth book too. I my I have three books on a hard drive um, that I I pitched to agents. I pitched to I think even a small publisher, one of them, and um, got nowhere. And so it was book number four. Now five is done. It's it's currently being um, reviewed by some folks. I just got some feedback this morning for the sequel for the Body Man. Uh, six is there's a sixth, a third done, and I s decided to start a chapter one of a seventh too because why not. But because, um, you know, like you, I want to have, you know, all these extra manuscripts. What, what the hell am I going to do with them? So um, but you just what you just said, Jason, you write, you write, you write. And I think when people stick to it, they're going to something's going to hit at some point. Um, I, I think that just comes down to the commitment. The, the million million words. I, I, I guarantee all of us that are in, been in this for a look, you know, couple books out are past a million words, obviously, by that point. And yeah, it, it takes hard work and effort to get to that point. But, you know, then you get to hold your first book in your hand and you go, yeah, that was worth, you know, getting up at five in the morning and getting ribbed by the guys on the on the boat and trip and all that. And, you know, because they don't have one of these on the shelves. So, <laughs> um, yeah, no, good for you. And that, that's um, I, I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned by that. And, and people people can take that as an encouragement as they move forward. Cause I, 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 you know, most people have such a struggle of they get bogged down and, and I, I have Stephen King's book here. I have David Morrell's book, uh, successful novelist. 
And I do encourage people to read those books, but more than anything, I encourage people to write because you can't fix something that's you haven't even finished. So write, and you know, then you're going to learn. You're going to learn so much by putting out the manuscripts by failing. Yeah. That's how you succeed. Well, and I, I want to even add to that because I got I got some buddies you know who write, and they're they're pretty prolific and and pretty dogged about writing, but what they don't do well is query um and they they're either scared to do it or they get you know they send out 10 queries and get 10 rejections or only hear back from five and then they just you know stop and go on to the next book but like i said i queried the first three and i probably queried a hundred or so agents you know for each one of those three but with don't know tough i queried over 200 and had ended up with like I had an agent at, you know, some point for a half a year. Um, I probably had over 30 full requests, you know, before him, coupled with after him mm-hmm. and just nobody, you know, ever. It was it was the funniest thing. I mean, as as we all know, like once you're in this business, you know. Books are art and art is subjective. So so the things that people, you know, the agents they don't know tough to a strange it, it's ambitious, you know, for a debut novel in in its perspectives and the voices and, and things like that it switches between first and third it's written in present tense. But anyway, back to the, to an author, authors who are trying to get out and, and make it. I think that was really maybe more than anything. What set me apart was the fact that 200 and I really think it's like 214 is the exact number, you know, rejections over 30 full manuscript rejections. And, um, and then I found, I didn't find it even. It was William Boyle, who's an author from Oxford, Mississippi, right? Some really cool, like literary crime noir. He, 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 uh, he put me on this contest, you know, unagented contest that, that, and so, you know, if he hadn't done that, I don't know that Don't Know Tough would have ever found a home because it went straight to the editors and editors are different. You know, they're they're different than agents and agents uh, always compare them to, like, you know, like administrators in, in my world, like in the school world. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they have to consider all these other things, you know, where it's like editors really get to, to pull the trigger. And so, yeah. So, I mean, I think that's the other key. Right. But also like send your shit out, like send it out regularly and make sure that it's getting in front of a whole bunch of people because that process in and of itself just takes time. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the the master of getting his book out in front of everybody. Eric Bishop, <laughs> the body man has been seen all over the world. <laughs> And, uh, you know, he's picking up semen. I think it's good for you, but you have to handle rejection. I wish I kept account of how many queries I've sent out that have been rejected. I know it's definitely over a hundred. I haven't even, this next book I'm re I'm writing cause I write nonfiction and the nonfiction market is like, huh? It's kind of hit or miss. I tried to get a book out there about human trafficking, about the realities of it. And nobody wanted to pick that up. Probably about a hundred rejections with that one easily. And now, you know, I'm, I'm heading into a different genre and uh, it should work, but I'm, I'm all ready for the rejection. I'm fine with that. And if the end of the day, I get rejected, 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 I'll just keep pushing. Yeah. So let's talk about don't know tough. What's the premise and what do you want the 
the audience out there to say, hey, you know, why do I buy, why do I want to buy this book? Because I I'm buying it like as soon as we get off here. Yeah. I got my Amazon right up. I'm like, I'm ready to go. Thanks, man. Yeah, well, and I got word today. This is kind of good news. I think um, we're about out of them. I, I think Amazon. I think Barnes and Noble's got like a hundred copies left, and then Amazon. Uh, Amazon does have good like, but a, a good amount left. But they're they're going into a second printing. That'll be everything will be ready in in August. Um, yes, that's a good problem, Eli. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. But I've had some friends calling. It's mainly you know book brick and mortar bookstores just can't are out and they, there's none in the in the warehouse at, at Penguin yeah. Random House or wherever. But but yeah, man, the book uh, the best way like when I'm around like my my hometown and people are like, "What's the book about?" or "What is the book?" I tell them it's Friday Night Lights meets netflix ozark like um so if you take that and mix it with that tone of that series um that's what it is uh it's about billy Lowe, who's a running back with a really volatile life um it's about his coach trent powers who's a born-again christian who just moved to arkansas from california to coach this football team and the devastating murder that happens right before they take off into the playoffs um and and put those three things together and get don't know tough. You get one hell of a story, so it's very well done. Very well done. Um, would you, for our audience especially, would you mind reading your first paragraph? Because I think coming from the author's voice, um, your words I think are powerful, and I think it really sets the tone. Um, and that's I'll have a question after you read it, but uh, I think it sets the tone for the book. Yeah. Yeah. So this is chapter one. This is from Billy Lowe. It's written in Billy Lowe's voice. And this is that uh, that bit that came to me that day on the lunch break slash prep period. So chapter one. Still feel the burn on my neck. Told coach it was a ringworm this morning when he picked me up, but it ain't. It is cigarette or at least what a lit cigarette do when it's stuck in your neck. I just stared at him when he did it. No way I was going to let him see me hurt. No way. Bit a hole through the side of my cheek, swallowed blood, and just stared at him. Tasted blood all day. So talk about that cigarette burn, because I've I've seen a few interviews with you, and I've read some of the stuff you put out there. Um, That's a real thing. Um, So... What was the thought process with yeah. starting the book with that, and, and how did that how did that tie into the story? Being the story? Yeah, it was that line. It was that line, and it was in that voice. Um, still feel the burn on my neck. Um, I'd had a player who who knows who the hell knows you know who knows how he got the burn. He he had a burn on his neck. I mean, they could have been at a bonfire after a game on Saturday, and somebody you know could have. But but I don't know. He he was one of those boys who had the kind of a feral look in his eye, and he was a good player, you know. And and he was he was the start. And and so much of the book, just like any book, is is a conglomeration, you know, of so many players that I had, and so many. You, as a coach, you take kids home, you you buy them uh, lunch or supper, you know, and you get to really see. You get to see inside these trailers and behind closed doors. And it was just a world that, I mean, I've been playing with guys like Billy my whole life, but as a coach, like I was, I was now responsible for him. And, and I was only, I, I became a head football coach of a 
um, a pretty fairly large high school here in Arkansas when I was 26. And so I was I was really and, and I got the job because of my playing, you know, like because of my playing career. I, I'd been an assistant for like two years and we were really successful at an already successful program. But I took over the reins at this program that had won one game in the last like four years. And, you know, my young, dumb, cocky ass thought that I was going to walk in there, you know, and, and we were going to we were going to turn it all around. And we didn't. I was only there two seasons and we won one game in two years. Mm-hmm. We went one in 19. And so couple all that, you know, the coach in this book is dealing with that sort of scenario. Um, he's dealing with losing. Uh the kids that he's dealing with and, and coaching are, are from home lives like, like that, you know, where a, a stepfather or a boyfriend might, might abuse or stick a, stick a, uh, you know, a cigarette in a kid's neck. And, and so that's where it all came from. Billy's voice in particular though, was something that was something that all the agents had problems with. Uh, so when I mentioned that earlier, like on the rejections, uh, because Billy is so he's a white kid. I describe him as a uh, a sawed off white boy with no neck, a pit bull. Um, I think is his exact description there. But he's very influenced by like hip hop culture, different things like that. And he's from a different region of the state. He's from the Delta area of Arkansas, which is right outside of Memphis. That's where all my family's from. Okay. And so you get this dialect that. I've never really seen, you know, on in entertainment or or, or literature, I, this, this this kind of mixed dialect between, you know, the hills and the, and the flat farmlands of the Delta and and uh, at, throw a little hip hop culture in there. And and it's a voice that I heard every day coaching. You know, it's a voice that I hear I hear every day in my classrooms still. And so really it was Billy's voice. It was like once I kind of locked into the meter and the rhythm of his voice, the plot didn't matter so much. You know, it, I just wanted to hear him talk. Like I just want to see what he was going to say next. And and so as I kept doing that and kept going into the story, I it was so it was so tough. It was so like raw. And, I didn't think that I could do a whole book that way, you know, so that's where the alternating chapters come in to where you kind of, it's almost like you get a a reprieve, you know, you get a little break from, from Billy being so rough and tough. Yeah. Um, And, and, and that, that's kind of how the book came about. Yeah. I think that I I can understand what you're saying where you need that break, but I think it's that rawness and that the way he talks that I, I would hope at least for myself drew drew myself in because i i'm not used to hearing people talk that way Um, but those first few pages it took me some adjusting to say okay this isn't and trust me i don't speak proper english either but it's not proper english from what i've known i got over that hump though and got it's easy to the the way you describe it the way you decide this describe the scenes describe his you know his attitude his anger and everything i think you get in his head very easily and people can embrace that and understand. Um, And then especially the scenes going back with, you know, with Tina and Travis and the um, you can visualize your words and put yourself in the middle of that trailer and you can smell it. You can see it. Um, And and I think that's, you know, that's a gift towards your skill with the written word. Um, And yeah, kudos. I I love the way you pull that together. And um, I think that's, um, 
I think it's appreciated by the readers, which is why you're selling out of books and why you're, you know, I, I look today, I, I want to say, okay, how does Amazon reviews look? And, you know, three months in, you know, you're looking fabulous. So um, I, I think the readers have really connected with that. So, yeah, I just went to buy it. Amazon, I'm over here playing around. I'm like, ah, oh, you know what? Eric's talking. I'm going to go buy the book. And there's hardly any books there. You can get the Kindle. Yeah. All day long. But hardcover is there, well, paperback, and you're going to be buying from a, another. You're not. You have to pre-order the paperback now. That's awesome, man. Yeah, that's very cool. The hardcover is, yeah. Good luck trying to find a hardcover right now. I think there's like 15 left. There's 29 left. So you better <laughs> oh, get out there and buy it now. Yeah, the pre-order for the um, the paperback doesn't come out till February. But I was looking at the audiobooks out there. So who's who do, did your audiobook? Uh, I did. Oh, awesome. So, I can see that voice too. Yeah, That's that going to be good. Yeah, it was, it was a crazy experience because I wanted to do it because of what I said about Billy's voice. And like the last thing I wanted was some Joker from Texas, you know, with like a cowboy accent trying to do Billy's voice. And so I really pushed hard with my publisher and said, like, I want to do this. And, and the people, you know, with the audio book, they, they know a lot more about it than I do. But so they made me like record myself, you know, like like doing it. So I sent them just the, the Billy portion, like kind of like what I read to you guys. And I really think they thought like that was me, you know, like that that was that was like who like that was my voice, you know, and like that's who I was talking. So then I had to do the third person scenes and it ended up. It ended up they finally let me do it, and it was a hell of an experience. We I did it in Memphis, and uh, it ended up taking us like three days, like something like twenty eight hours worth of studio time to do like eight and a half hours worth of recorded audiobook. But but it was it was I was I've been really pleased with the response to that, um, and 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 just you know having done it. I, I don't know if I'll do it ever again. Like, I don't know if I'll go sit back in that studio, but it was, it was cool to have said I did it. You did save money on paying a voice actor. That's so true. There's that. <laughs> so now that's cool. I was, uh, I've not, I don't think too many authors do read their books. I, I know there are some that do, but I, I think you're right with the distinct voice you give Billy. Um, that would be a lot harder to coach someone and to get someone to get that right for you. Um, especially, you know, but kudos. Um, how about, uh, Billy and Lorna's relationship? Cause I thought that, I thought that was, um, I, I like the undertone there and just how you kind of, especially how even, you know, the parallels or how you build the parallels in of what's happening, um, with, uh, Trent and Marley. Uh, so I thought that was very, very cleverly done. So can you talk though about how, how that came together or how you decided to go that direction without giving too much away, but. Yeah. So Lorna is the coach's daughter. So as cliche as that sounds, you know, Billy and her, um, they do strike up a, a relationship of sorts. Um, and it's, it's not a relationship really that you would think like for a high school, you know, boy or anything. I think Lorna is just intrigued. Um, you know, it's, it, she's a very well-read, uh, young girl, very, you know, has different set of ideals than than Billy does and 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 really thinks she's got her finger on the world 
Um, and I think Billy, of course, is intrigued by Lorna for different reasons. Um, but by book's end, you know, kind of playing off of the title of, of Don't Know Tough, you know, I, I really think that of all the characters, maybe Lorna's the one that knew the least, you know, about what, about really what she was getting herself tied up in. Um, and that, that revelation is, it's one of my favorite parts of the book when, when, when she finally, you know, really understands that like, there might be no fixing this, you know, yeah. there, there might be no, there's no, you know, there might, there, this is sort of crazy that, that she'd never brushed up against and she'll never be the same after having gotten that close to it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, my thought is this, buy the book and buy it now. Don't <laughs> wait for that second public hit, second pub come along. Uh, one thing I do want to really talk about is shop talk. I started reading that today and it's like really a great talk, especially if you're in this writing world or you want to be in the writing world. Are you kind of dibbling and dabbling? You're a little bit out, a little out. So let's talk about shop talk. Yeah, man. So that idea came about because because of my coaching stuff. Uh, as a coach, if you if there's a team nearby in the state that's scoring a lot of points or or running a special team, you know that that's really effective. You call that coach up and you and you know. How are you doing what you're doing? And we always just used to call it, you know, talking shop, you know, and, and you go over to the field house and you'd see those those guys and you watch how they're doing their off season or their, their weight room or whatever it was you wanted to figure out. And I think this holds true for writing as well. I mean, you never took a carbon copy back and did the same thing. Uh, but I will say, like, from all those talks, one of the one of the things that I try to do is like get one thing, you know, like get one thing that I feel like I can implement or, or, you know, something that, that really resonated with me from that author's talk. And, and I can think of a couple too, like one of my favorite ones ever was uh, Michael Carita. Um, And Carita had this great thing where he's got a bell like hanging over the door to his office and he's got a 1500 word, um, like word count that he, that he has to hit every day. And if he hits it, he gets to walk out of the office, you know, and ring the bell and his wife's like, woo, you know, like holler in front. I just love, I just love that. Cause you know, it's, it's so, it's so fits with my mentality. When, and then there's authors who, you know, really hate word counts and, and don't want that sort of pressure. And so it's been interesting to see you know, how all the, and, and these are authors who write a book a year and have been doing it for, way longer you know than some of them than i've been alive you know and so it's like you know there's a million ways to skin a cat and that's the thing that i've i've found the most from the shop talk maybe the most interesting thing from all those is is just seeing how all these authors get the black on the white well it doesn't matter how you get there it's getting there and we're all going to have different ways to do it. And if you try to, mo- if I try to model what you do, I'll fail miserably. Chances are. Um, so yeah, finding your, and that's how you find your voice too. You, you take, you take what you learn from other authors that have been there before their writing style. And then you, you know, you write and you come up with your own style and your own way to, to accomplish that. So I know a lot of writers that write early in the morning and um, Yeah. I'd be at like 500 words, not over a million if I wrote at, you know, five o'clock in the morning. So, 
But after 10 o'clock, I'll kick anyone's ass because I can go. There you go. No problem. So nice. Well, Eli, I appreciate you coming on, man. It's great meeting you virtually. And Eric, it's great always having you as co-host. Love coming on. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the next book. And I'm looking forward to this book. I'm actually going to have to get on here and find a copy. I'll get one. It's going to be good. So nice. April 2023, huh? Yeah, April 2023, Ozark Dogs. So that's, that's, And when is yours, Eric? When's the, the next? I don't have a... I don't have a pub date yet. I'm uh, I was thinking it'd be yeah. the end of this year, but I'd say at this point, since I'm still kicking it around, I'm thinking, you know, maybe I'll compete with you early next year or something. I don't, I don't there know. There we go. We'll, we'll find out. Competition's a good thing. So, and that's, that's, that's right. the cool thing that I know you can relate to as a writer too, is it's not a competition. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we, we push each other and we challenge each other and give each other hard times. But at the end of the day, you coming out with a good quality book, does no damage to any other author. It makes yeah. other authors better as well um, because you're going to raise the bar each time, which is, which is amazing about this, this uh, community of writers. Yeah. Well, and stuff like this, I mean um, stuff like this, where a guy like you a guy like Jason, you know, taking the time to, to do this stuff. I mean, that's, I cannot tell you how, you know, how appreciative I am of you guys having me on, but also there's been so many authors this community is really is really amazing like that because you know that that'll pull you up and and help you out uh, when 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 you really are just writing alone in a dark room you know either early in the morning or late at night yeah absolutely i completely agree well there's two things the audience needs to do they need to buy don't know tough whether audio kindle or hardcover and they need to buy the body man by eric bishop and take pictures with these books. I always tell people, Mike, just take pictures, like, share. It's free. Yeah. You don't always have to be like like donating money across the world. You could help people right here, right now. It's tough to make a full-time living as an author. So everybody kind of has their, their real day job. So support them when you can. Buy the book. Leave a review. And, and just do it. Eli, Eric, thanks again. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Eli. Yeah, man. Thank you. all